This is the Unearthing Art Podcast with Michelle Luminato and Beck Lee, where we dig into the messy reality of making art that matters, raw and real conversations about being an artist, navigating the creative process, and expressing our honest and sometimes weird selves. We have a very juicy topic Michelle, it's one of those things that I think when you go to family events, they say there are like three things you shouldn't talk about, you know, religion, politics, and money. Well, Mm -hmm. we're not talking about religion or politics. Let's talk (laughs) about money. Lots, Lots of times when we finish recording the podcast, our conversation continues a bit longer and we come up with a bunch of ideas because we never want to stop talking. And one of the things that you had mentioned to me in the past is, oh, wouldn't it be interesting to talk about what it takes to sell a $10,000 painting or a $50,000 mm-hmm. painting? I think it's really interesting how we feel individually when we hear those sort of figures compared to where we are right now. Mm-hmm. What our, We've also talked recently about having a, a vision that pulls us forward. And for some people, I'm sure the vision might be in however many years I'd like to be able to sell a painting at X amount. Mm-hmm. And it's could be at any of those sort of levels. It could be 5,000, 10,000. It could be 50,000. It could be 5 million. I don't know. <laughs> Is that like a Damien <laughs> yes. Hurst style painting? Exactly. So, yeah. and it's touchy, isn't it? Talking about money and pricing and how much your art, what value your art has and what price I think people feel, some people might feel whether they should even be asking for that kind of amount of money. Yeah, yeah. I instantly go back to my beginning days as a painter and um, really struggling to see the value in it right away myself Mm. and then struggling even to sell a painting for $65. Like it was Mm. a paper works, you know, it was one of my early ones. Um, But it was, it was really hard to imagine that I could sell for higher price, even though I really did want that. But at the time I was like, if I could just sell a painting, you know, if I could just <laughs> any sell for any, any amount, any, for any amount. And I think there was a lot of loaded areas for me that have to do with a little bit of money mindset, as well as the value that was in the painting itself is in mm. what was the painting, what value did it have? Mm. And then there's the, what worth did I see myself having you know as well so very complex topic I think it is it's interesting when we talk about the value and the worth of a painting because I think there are a lot of different ways to measure that and it it kind of reflects on what you value as a person one of the ways I think that we value items and what we spend our money on there's sort of a a luxury market Mm -hmm. Things can sell for enormous sums of money that don't necessarily, I mean, some people would say, well, they're not worth that. They don't have an inherent value at that amount. But because of a certain exclusivity, Mm -hmm. luxury level items just have a markup on them. And, you know, we know that there are some people in the world who have a lot of money to spend on what can seem like really ridiculous things. And so I don't know whether when we think about art being sold, I mean, even when we look at you know that infamous thing that went around of the banana taped to the, the wall, mm-hmm. like there's so many levels to this, isn't it? That, so if you look at it purely as a, a luxury high ticket item that doesn't have any of what you perceive as those other measures of value inherent in them, I think that's when people can start to feel a bit icky 
about the mm-hmm. pricing. I think this comes into a bit of a judgment as well. Mm-hmm. I think that we um, as humans do tend to judge and it's based our, on our own personal experience. So let's say, you know, that banana, I, to be honest, I, I really forget a lot of these stories that, you know, <laughs> like this happened with art. I think there was an invisible space that was being sold. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, it know, just had a description of the artwork. Yeah, there was yeah. Nothing there. Was no, there. Nothing yeah. there. And the thing that I think is really interesting is like whoever has the money, they can say whatever they want to buy. You know, mm-hmm. like who are we to judge someone who bought an empty space? Knock yourself out if that makes you happy to buy that. Like I I feel like I'm at that point where maybe the younger version of me would have been like, what a waste of money. That Like who am I to judge? We don't really know the story of how people spend their money. But I think to judge people for how they spend their money is a little, I don't know if immature is the right word, but I just feel like, like, who are we to judge? Full stop. And what about, and what about judging the people who take their money? What about that artist who, you know, sold the space, the empty space? To me, I'm like, well, good for you. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it seems funny to say that because I do remember feeling you know, like, how is that even possible? What a stupid idea. Like, I've been in, in both points of view. Mm-hmm. My my point of view is like, wow, they figured out what works for them and the buyer. Like, yeah, that's kind of what happened in those situations. So I look at it more from that angle now. But I think the value comes from, again, these people who are paying for it, they see the value. Mm. But the person selling it sees the value in it as well because they're the Mm. one asking for that price. Mm. And so when those two things match up together, you know, that's when you have what I consider kind of magic happening with how the art world works with the collector and the artist. Do I want to make an empty space and sell it? Me personally, no, I'm not interested in making an empty space. But to make work, that I feel really proud of that I really like and enjoy mm-hmm. and people really value it as much as I do that they want to pay what I want to ask for like that to me is that's fun that's where as an artist like all that work we've put into it feels rewarded so. and then when you talk about the price that you want to ask for it that in itself is very influenced by a lot of your own perceptions and stories around yes something should be worth the more we talk about this the more complex it is I think what you were saying before is so right in that there is no fixed universal standard of inherent worth that you Mm -hmm. can take a ruler measure it up against anything in the world and go this is worth this much when you think about people's work in the world and when you think about all the things that exist in the world you might say, well, I think what should be valued most highly are the essential things. So clean air, clean water, like let's get really kind of philosophical about it. That should be, and everything that contributes to that should be the things that we're spending millions on. Like I agree. Or I think that the things that people put a lot of their time into, whether it's a craftsperson or whether it's a scientist, because we all have limited time, so time's the one thing that you can't just mm. buy back. So what, whenever people are investing their time in building skills and building knowledge, that should be rewarded. Yeah. So whatever is created from that, that should have a high value. Like, yeah, I can agree with that too. So and there's lots of different yeah. 
ways to look at this. And I, I just don't think there's any one scale. When you look at a piece of art by Michelle and you think what I feel I want to ask for it, there's a lot of things to consider. You, you, you consider the time that you've put in as an artist, not just on that particular work, but a lifetime of work. And, you know, early on, you can spend many years, as you say, not being able to sell a $65 piece of work. So there's a lot of upfront time that you invest in that. Mm-hmm. There's your kind of emotional commitment and investment in the artwork. And then mm-hmm. there's, you know, Michelle with her family. She has things that she wants to do for herself and for her kids. And it's a complicated equation it's- to come up to. And then there's a thing you've got to say, well, if someone can sell a space for $5 million, you know, I think I can have 20000 or 10000 to buy my kids, you know, school uniforms for this piece of art that I've put 10 years of my life into becoming the artist who can make this piece of art. Right. And I think this is the part that gets very tricky with art too, because you're absolutely right. The art I'm selling today is not just, you know, the last month or the last four months. It's, it's all the years before that, that I mm. took to take the time to explore what I'm interested in and improve my paint skills. When we invest in into ourselves, as in mm. like we improve our skills, we get dedicated to what we're really about, you know, and really learn what our visual voice is, which mm-hmm. I think is always, as we always say, it's already in us. It's more about figuring out how to pull that out. And that unique voice starts coming through. There is value in that uniqueness. There's value in the skills there's value in that point of view because it's it's so your point of view. And what really I wanted to speak into about that was the automatic scarcity that's intrinsic with that because no one else can be doing your point of view if you're really honest with yourself. You literally don't have another person out there that's a carbon copy or could make a carbon copy. Um, so I think when we really start understanding the value that we have in our uniqueness that really adds to a piece of art in terms of it being very original and limited and, you know, one of a kind, that's where the collector also can see value in that because they want something very special. And again, I love that in art, like we, we aren't a factory. We don't have to be a factory. We can do things that are unique. And the more unique it is, I think the more valuable the price tag and, when we can really understand the power of that mm-hmm. and know like, hey, that's that's your value. Instead of feeling like, oh, I'm a weirdo. <laughs> no, I'm actually, this uniqueness is the thing that's giving me more money. But we have to overcome our money stories. And I think for me, that was definitely a challenge because during my younger years, when I was um, around nine, my mom and dad divorced and we ended up being, we were living with my mom who was raising two kids as a single mom, putting herself through university, and she was trying to keep her house. It was really difficult times. Mm. And I remember literally a time period that she had to borrow some money from people and we were on food stamps. So there wasn't a lot of money. There wasn't a lot of food around. Things were limited. It was very real. And it was it was um, definitely something that became part of my DNA and mm. something that I had to really work through as an artist to not have that scarcity guide where I was going to go with my future. From my own experience, I think that really impacted the way that I saw value and how I 
could deliver work. And I still think that it impacts like the price range in terms of, I think, oh, I think I'll go here. And the gallery's like, I think you can go here. So I always see that it still kind of chases me, even though I'm still increasing my prices on a regular basis. When the gallery says, no, I think we should price it higher, Mm -hmm. how does that feel for you? It's kind of one of those like, yeah, I know they're right. And it's kind of, I have to tell myself like, it's okay. It's okay to do this. And again, it's that thing of like, I'm, you know, 54, like I'm still telling myself like, it's okay, you don't have to worry. So I think that um, having people around you who can help see a bigger vision of what you're capable of, Mm -hmm. I think is also important with these things because, you know, here's a girl who literally was making stuff that I couldn't sell it for 65, you know, and now some paintings. They're obviously different paintings now because it's years later, but that same size is now selling for 1200 So mm-hmm. I'm the same person, mm-hmm. but I've invested tons of time, tons of energy. Mm-hmm. I've also had a big shift around what I see as value that I provide for people mm-hmm. and knowing the value they get from it, I think yes. has been the biggest shift. The way you process that is really informed by your own knowledge that you have now that I know you teach as well around having worked inside larger companies and mm-hmm. the way you think about like the way you analyze before it's a it's an offer between the creator and the the buyer or collector and you mm-hmm. really see that it gives you a perspective that takes a little more of the emotion a little yeah. more of, of the old story out of it because you can see quite clearly you think about markets and you've you've analyzed markets and products from a a product creation point of view and you can see really more clearly and a little dispassionately the exchange that's happening that it's 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 a straightforward value exchange and it's what you're willing to ask for and accept and what a collector is willing to pay. I know that a lot of artists and probably other people, you know, in mm. the wellness area, I think is a common thing where mm. it's like, oh, I should just be giving this away. Why, you know, should I be charging for my art? And and I really feel like it's something that's like an internal job because yeah. the reality is you really, if you want to thrive in the artist world, whatever mm. it is that you want to do, whether you want to be a painter, designer, interior, like whatever, it doesn't matter what that is. If you don't see the value in your work and and really see where the money is, as in like who's willing to pay for that work, you mm. don't have a business. You really don't. You have a hobby. Um, and in my case, it'd be a very expensive hobby because I, I spend so much money on supplies and, you know, paints and all that stuff. So to have a business, we have to really identify like who sees the value in this, who really... Mm understands what I'm giving them and where I want to go. And it's, I, I think sometimes when people hear the word like, oh, let's sell to premium collectors, mm. people who are willing to put money into it, it's like a dirty word. And it's not. I mean, I think you really have to be honest and say like, well, who's got the money to pay? And I know that sounds a little maybe harsh, but at the same time, if you don't find the people who are willing to pay the prices and the direction that you want to go, again, you really have to figure out what your art means to you in mm. a different way. 
because otherwise you'll be disappointed and possibly trying to sell to an audience that just doesn't have the money as well. It's really useful, I think, that you've brought up kind of the wellness space because I think it it relates in that it's that group of people who have felt a kind of calling to the, mm -hmm. the work that they do, whether it's services that you do for other people or something that you make where you believe very strongly in it. It can have a spiritual aspect. It can have a wellness aspect. It can be have like a healing. Let's call it that because I think healing can happen yeah. very broadly. Um, yeah. And I think many artists are motivated by healing, mm -hmm. healing themselves and then feeling like they want to share that healing with the world. And so you have those kind of motivations and also a belief that what you're creating is bringing good to the world. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a service to the world. And yeah. then somehow then taking that thing and making a relationship with money has a lot of bad connotations with it, like that that's somehow mercenary or, you know, it taints. It taints the intention, the the pureness of the, the work. And I don't know how that kind of connection came about. Mm. I'm sure someone's done research into it and worked it out. But it seems to me to be such a con that people – can go about in the world with very bad intentions and happily make heaps of money and use that money to further their own bad intentions and and do things in the world which we feel are really can feel really damaging and then other people who have these really pure intentions go no 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 I, I'm not going to have anything to do with money because I think it's it's a bad thing and what don't have as much power to support themselves to feed and clothe and you know enrich themselves to go on and do the work that they believe so much in it's it's such a bind I feel like it's almost a trick that someone's played along the yeah, way to keep people I, locked in I agree and I I just I definitely agree 100% because it is it's an illusion because the more money we make as artists, the more we can help. There's not the transformation for people. And an example of that would be where if I gave a painting of mine right now to someone that in my family or a friend who just didn't get it, I can name names, but I'm not going to like, yeah. it, and they didn't get it, there would be no value in it for them, even if it was free. Yeah. So when we give something away for free and people don't appreciate that value, it doesn't make it more valuable. Like it's mm. that thing of I've found that it's actually better to sell people who are willing to pay more and they really value it Yeah, because they've paid for it. Another example of that is my daughter is going to this camp and instead of us paying for this camp because this is one of many, 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 many camps and expenses we paid for, we yeah. were like, actually, you should save for this one and help pay for it. And she's really excited because for her, it almost makes the trip more rewarding and more mm -hmm. like she's really proud that she's going to pay for this trip. Like it's kind of a big deal for her. So I think for us as parents, like we could have easily been like, oh no, we'll, we'll do it again. We'll pay for yeah. it. But actually to say like, oh no, you pay for this. Like this could be a good thing. It, it, it felt hard to say that as a parent because you, of mm. course, want to give your kids everything. But for her to see now how excited she is about being able to pay for this trip because she works and she's saving her paychecks, like she's excited. Mm. And I think to to steal that from her 
you know, is like, if you look at it, like you're actually stealing from people in a way it's, it's not that you're stealing the physical thing, but the experience they get from it. You've got me thinking about like, if, if you have a collector who has the means to, I don't know, buy a hundred thousand dollar car, whatever that is, <laughs> not up on cars, <laughs> but you know, the kind of thing like yeah. a sports car, high end car. And then you compare them buying, you know, a $50,000 painting, let's say. You can think about the pleasure that they may have if they're an art collector who really loves that particular piece, loves the artist. The same way as you or I would get pleasure in supporting another artist, you know, yeah. at whatever the, whatever the dollar value we had within our means. When you really believe in someone, I'm sure, I mean, there are people that I support in small ways, you know, through Patreon, creators of different things. When you see someone doing work, and they provide value to you. They bring some happiness into your life. You see that they're doing something you love. And if you have it within your means, you want to, number one, support that person. And also, if it means that, in the case of the collector, they have that piece of art that they, you know, go into their breakfast room every morning and they look at it and they think about what they've done for that person and then they also have the art that, that they've chosen yeah. that they love. I mean, that's an experience to me, I'm happy that they've got that and it's giving them that joy and that whatever they get out of it as much as the car or whatever else they might have spent yeah. the money on. And, and that's the thing. Like we aren't, we, we aren't the person that's buying it. We're the maker. Exactly. And exactly. we can't assume that we're, they're thinking the way we are. You know, mm. some, for some people, you know, a thousand, ten thousand, twenty thousand, fifty thousand, like that could be disposable for them. Mm. And to judge that and be like, oh, I don't, I don't sell to people like, like, why? Why not? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because they have a right to pay for things if they have that capability to do that, you know, and it's kind yeah. of relative. Like, you know, if someone's spending that kind of money, there's a good chance that they're making that more money, you know, to yeah. do that as well. So I guess it just shines a light that we can't really assume our experiences, you know, yeah. whether we were raised a certain way or as an artist, we don't feel it's about like people just don't see it. When you start to see your value, you know, and what you provide is valuable. And when I look at Beck's face right now, as we're recording this, I'm like, when, she, when I can see her paintings, which I can envision in my head, <laughs> like there's value in that. I see it. You know, yeah. I see that value. And when Beck sees that value that she really feels that she wants to transfer to other people, then we all get to benefit from that. You know, yeah, it's it's not only Beck. And I think that's the other part that I've really, really begun to understand, because when I first started painting, I did do it to heal myself. The paintings were literally my healing in the paintings like it was abstract, but it was it was all energy. And I will never forget the time someone emailed me back after they um, saw the painting on Instagram. And they were like, when I see this painting, I think of this and this and this. And they described the exact feeling that I was going through with that painting. Exactly. I just got chill. She's like, I got to buy this. And I was like, you just I've got to sell it to you. <laughs> I've got to sell it to you because it was this yeah. transfer of energy. And I think that was when I really started understanding the power of art and what it did for people and mm. the energy and the things that it gave people from them experiencing it. 
and it mm-hmm. lives in their home. And she's still one of my most, you know, favorite people because she'll pop up on my Instagram and commenting and, and like, I know how much that painting did for them as a family as well. Like it wasn't mm. just her, it was the whole family experience. And when you can see the value in that, you're like, yes, pay me. That's great. Like it's great because yep. they wanted to. If I would have said, oh, have it for free, it, it wouldn't have been the same value exchange for them because there's that reciprocity exchange that we have as humans. You give something and you get something like it's yeah, that ex- exchange. And that exchange- on has to happen. And when it doesn't happen, that's why when you give, you know, a painting to a friend who could care less, you know, there isn't that reciprocity, like there's not that exchange. Yeah, there's an energetic exchange with the exchange of money. And I think you're absolutely right, that one of the things that trips us up is that we are not our own collectors. So just Mm -hmm. because we may not have the means to pay $50,000 for a painting, number one, doesn't mean Mm -hmm. that it's that it shouldn't happen. Um, Mm -hmm. Also, like you said earlier, our family and friends are not necessarily our collectors. So Mm -hmm. just because a family member might be shocked at the very notion that (laughs) your paint on canvas (laughs) should sell for such an amount, well, that's that's not something that they're valuing. And the other thing that occurs to me about all of this, this is the way I look at it, and it's not something I have a huge hang-up about. It's something that seems more obvious to me. I think if you are a person who I guess is one of those people who has the means to drop 50 or 100 grand on <laughs> whatever you want in life, whatever. then you have the means to to do things in the world that you want to do. You want to make your own art and then share that with the world in some way. I think one point about that is that you're you're right that there has to be some exchange there. I think because that's innate in us, the way we work from, you know, whether it's money or some, you know, back to bartering, whatever it is, there has to be some exchange. So I think even if you are independently wealthy and don't need the money per se, it do- the exchange is still part of that experience. Having said that, you might want to just stay in your studio and make wonderful work and never actually share it to the world and then maybe when you pass away there'll be this amazing collection that people discover and then they'll start selling it who knows <laughs> yeah. so that's it's one true. thing you it's can true. have you can have that you know independence of not requiring money um, but I think as soon as you make the step to say no I do need and want to sell my art to me as soon as you have the idea that you're going to accept a dollar value for the art, this is going to sound weird, but I think it's actually kind of meaningless whether you're accepting $400, $4,000 or $400,000. Cuz as soon as there's a dollar value on it, there's someone out there for whom $400 feels like $400,000. So it doesn't matter. There's no real meaning to saying oh well I can sell my art for $400 but it would be mercenary and disgusting for me to sell it for 400,000 because mm-hmm. I don't think there's any meaning in those levels of amounts all it comes down to is what the person as you said before who sees the value in that and sees the value in investing in you what their means to spend yeah. is Exactly. And I would add to that one thing that I think we can get a little bit hung up on is I like to talk about the word luxury 
mm-hmm. and art being a luxury, it's really interesting because when you look at it like art for us obviously is essential. Mm-hmm. I look at art <laughs> like it's pretty much like if I have food and art, I'm going to be happy, right? So yeah. for me, it's essential. But for, for collectors, it isn't essential. I mean, some collectors probably feel as passionate about it as they do their food. And they probably collect really great food as well and mm. are foodies. But anyway, but the point is, it's one of those luxury items is in luxury being it's a treat. Yeah. Uh, whether it's 400 or whether it's 4,000, it's, it's a luxury expense, right? And so mm. when I say it's a luxury buyer, I'm saying because it, it's literally someone who's willing to have a little bit of extra disposable money that they want to put towards art. And it's not something that they're going to usually trade their food for. You mm-hmm. know, it's going to be in addition to the food. They've already got the food. They've already got the rent. They've got, you know, all the basics covered. And they have an abundance. And it's a treat. I mean, I've even mm. heard, you know, um, fellow artists who are collectors, they're mm. like, I'm going to treat myself to a piece of art, you know, for my birthday or whatever. And I think that we can't underestimate also how that impacts who we go after as collectors as well. You know, yeah. it's not someone who's really stressed about money. It's not someone who's um, having difficult times. And and right now, even though it looks like the whole world is, you know, struggling with interest rates and you know, all of this stuff, there's actually a ton of art still being sold mm. to people out there. And so it's not about like it's disappeared. It's about, no, where are they? You know, what kind of collectors are still collecting and yeah. seeing the benefit of that um, as an expense that's not a burden. I see luxury as being about beauty mm-hmm. and about probably experience I think those two words beauty and experience and that means for different people you know there's going to be fashionistas their luxury is is the clothes that they buy and the decisions they make around that what they wear what they put in their bodies other people it might be holidays spend large amounts on certain experiences going overseas or cars cars there are so many things p- depending on a person, an individual's sense of beauty and what they want to experience in the world, they're going to be willing to spend money on to have that. And that's exactly what you described when you have a person who feels art in that way. It's an entire experience for them, which is something we're going to talk about a bit more in a future episode, what that experience is like for them. It's not just an exchange of money and what they get on the wall. It's the entire experience they have discovering the art, their experience with you and with the process of buying your art and all of that kind of thing. But to me, that's what luxury denotes. It's beyond the essentials. And I think that we can make judgments. And we've talked about this a lot in this discussion about making judgments. And I think perhaps that comes down to because what we value differs individually. So Mm -hmm. what I might think of as a luxury, the kind of things in which I find beauty and the kind of experiences that I value are going to be very different from other people. And it's really this transfer of joy. I always Mm -hmm. look at, you know, at least for my art and that I've always put joy into my work. And I feel like when I'm transferring that energy to people and they're paying for that, they're getting that little piece of joy. 
And for them, you know, and sometimes I literally go, oh, I really want to keep this one because I'd love to have, I'd love to look at that and have the joy in my house, you know, for myself. Um, Mm. So I know that when they're looking at it, they're getting that little piece of joy. So I think what we can do as individuals, you know, as artists is really dig into what matters the most, you know, in our Mm. art. How can we really start to shine a light on our own point of view you know, in that lens that makes it unique so that we can then in turn see value in it for ourselves first. Mm -hmm. That's step one. And then step two is start to see value in it and see that collector who will see value in it. And, you know, and that's when we get to really decide what kind of price we want to put on our work and work towards that. And for me, it wasn't like I jumped from zero to you know, a thousand dollar small painting, like it was incremental steps and things that I did to keep improving my skills, keep um, really looking at like, what's my point of view? How do I see the world? What's making it more unique? And then again, creating those unique pieces as opposed Mm to um, a volume of sameness. I think that's something that I'm really passionate about helping people get to the bottom of because I think that when we can start to be unique and different and there is that scarcity and that uniqueness, you know, that's just going to raise the value of your artwork. I think we've been pretty explicit, but I think to be super explicit, um, we're really saying that there is not this great division between creating art that is authentic and unique to you, that is meaningful, that has in your mind and heart a higher purpose in terms of bringing healing or beauty or a certain experience or a certain expression into the world, that does not have to be completely separate to the idea of then receiving value and having a value exchange. And in fact, those two things can be really healthfully and fruitfully Mm -hmm. intertwined and it, it doesn't taint the, it doesn't, you know, corrupt the right, right. Your, your intentions with your art and that yeah we just really don't want artists to yeah I don't know shortchange themselves in that way yeah totally and the thing that I find really exciting is it it doesn't even it's not even corrupting it if you stay true to your voice now if you're like oh I'm gonna now only listen to what collectors want and chase your tail Mm. which I've done, FYI, called The Curse of the Sale, I think we just have to be true to ourselves and stay focused on like, what do we really want to do? But there's a bigger playground that we get because we get paid more. And then we can do, for me, it's bigger things, bigger artwork, bigger, bigger challenges. Just bigger studio to create bigger artwork. Everything just, it's more opportunity as an artist. And Mm. to me, that's really exciting. I think we do have to stay... um, you know, true to ourselves along the way because people will have different visions for us. But along, you know, the path of staying true to yourself, increasing your opportunities, like the world is your oyster. 